It is, as we're kind of getting ready to, to um, go into the message, let's uh, take a moment to pray and, and uh, kind of set our minds on, on that. Heavenly Father, I, I pray that you would uh, be with us this morning as we, as we hear your word. I pray that you would uh, um, help me to present it in a way that, that folks uh, understand it and come closer to you through it. And I pray that you would uh, help me speak the truth um, in everything I say. Christ's holy name I pray. Amen. I, uh, I feel a little more free in doing this sermon um, than last week's. I, uh, we're, we're working our way through uh, um, this idea of marriage as the Bible presents it. And the first week we talked about marriage, the ideal, you know, and how it was affected by the fall. And last week we talked about the Ephesians 5 verse where it was uh, um, women, you know, wives, um, submit to your husbands as unto the Lord. That's kind of an intimidating sermon to preach with your wife sitting in the room. Um, <laughs> And, and I was trying to be very careful not to make jokes because my inclination is to do the, the, the off-color sexist jokes. And, and I can get away with that now because I'm talking about husbands. <laughs> I, uh, I've been married for 14 years, which isn't all that long, I think, compared to everybody else in the room. Um, how many folks have got me beat right now? Yeah. How many of y'all have me doubled at this point? Oh, man. <laughs> I'm just going to say I'm younger than all of you. <laughs> There's the trade. <laughs> um, and I, I went into marriage. I, I was 21, and my wife was 20. And, and part, Actually, I was 22, excuse me, and my wife was, was 20. And, and part of what made that funny was um, in the state of Texas, um, it, it, you know, we're, we're getting married, and it was considered to be the case that because she was 20 and not 21, I was her legal guardian until she reached the age of 21. And, and, and I would always tease her about that. I could take her into, we, we didn't, we weren't great, but like I could take her to bars or whatever. She could, you know, imbibe if she so chose because I was, I was the adult. Um, and, and in retrospect, I, we got married really young. And I'm, I'm, I'm astonished at how well I didn't understand marriage going into it. And, and um, learning about it and, and, and discovering it and encountering it has been one of the best experiences of my life. But it's also been very difficult. Um, can I, from those of you guys who have been married twice as long as me, can I get an amen? <laughs> um, and part of the reason is, is because it, it goes against our nature at this point. All people are affected by sin. This is something the Bible teaches us. We all, we're all fallen. We all sin pretty well all the time, right? Thought, word, and deed. And our natural inclination is me, Right? And actually, you watch TV and, and, and TV's, you know, commercials and whatnot, they feed on this idea that it's all about me, right? You know, you, you deserve a break today, right? Um, be all that you can be in the army. I mean, everything is all about me. Um, whereas when the scripture talks about marriage, it gives us this sort of opposite end of the spectrum. It's not about you. It's about your spouse. Um, and, and in the Bible, we see over and over again where, where and I've talked about this more than once, so this will be the short version, um, where things that exist in the world are reflections of heavenly reality, right? So when marriage first came about, it was a reflection of the Trinity, where God, the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are in relationship with each other, and there's, you know, like the Son is subservient to the Father, submissive to the Father, but he's not lower, he's just, you know, he accepts a position of submission because it's, it's the way it is. Um, and they love each other selflessly, right? Um, and, and that's the way it was ideally supposed to be. And then the fall happens. Eve eats the apple, or the forbidden fruit. And, and it, as easy as it is to blame Eve, 
Maybe if you read the text, there's this great spot in there where Eve eats the apple and she turns to her husband. She's had this conversation with the snake, right? And the snake is tempting her. And um, she, she eats the fruit. And she turns and she gives the fruit to Adam who's standing right there. So <laughs> as much as Eve is like going and kind of catches it, Adam is standing right there, right? And he's supposed to be the husband. And he's supposed to have a certain spot in the relationship. But he sort of abdicates it and lets it go, right? Well... You, you do what you need to do, and he doesn't say a word, um, and he lets this thing happen, and, and so like like it's on app, right? But but from that point forward, sin has affected the world, and we no longer exactly match that model, right? We're we're the you know sort of junky version of the model that I would build when I was a kid, you know, with glue fingerprints and the paint's really bad, and you know broken parts and lost pieces and everything else. Um, now we find something different because of the fallen world. Marriage is taken on a different pattern. It reflects Christ in the church. Um, and, and Paul is talking about this in this passage. So last week we talked about wives. Um, submit to your husbands as unto the Lord. Right? So wives are supposed to, supposed to be like the church toward Christ. Right? Christ is, is the Lord, and, and they're supposed to respond to him in a way that reflects that. And a lot of times husbands will stop right there. It's, it's like um, I always joke that when I got married I said... I do, and from the moment I said I do, my hearing went out, um, you know, and, and I just can't hear a thing anymore. And my wife always, well, it's selective hearing. You hear what you want to hear. Am I the only husband who does this? <laughs> <laughs> wow, so I'm it, huh? <laughs> All right, asking the wives, <laughs> am I the only husband who does this? <laughs> um, and, and, and this selective hearing apparently transfers into the scriptures because when, you know, husbands will bust out the Bible, they're like, hey, 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 wives, submit to your husbands. And then that's it. <laughs> and and this, this entire analogy, like, like it, it fits together in a very specific way. And there's a problem when we have one and not the other, right? And this is actually one of the reasons why the scripture sort of says, well, hey, look, you know, you need to be careful not to be unevenly yoked, Right? So if a believer marries somebody who's, you know, like chasing after their own thing, right? Like if you marry somebody who's a non-believer, well, then you have this responsibility in the marriage. Like the wife submit to the husband, and the husband is supposed to take on the role that you're supposed to take on. If he's not taking on that role, you don't get to say, well, then I'm not doing it either. Because it's not about merit, it's about love, right? Um, and, and it goes both ways. And, and, and so husbands, you, you have this specific role, and if, if your wife ain't going to do it, you can't make her, Right? Um, and, and so, like, as husbands are selective in their reading here, we're going to have a look at it. It starts with uh, verse 25. This is Matthew or Ephesians 5, 25. I do not have slides this week. Abby was sick all week, and I spent the whole week taking care of the baby. Um, and so I did not get slides done. So I am a terrible pastor, and all of you can yell at me later. Um, so if you want to follow along, this is Ephesians 5, 25. Um, husbands. Love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Okay, we're going to do more than that, but we're going to take it on in bits because it's easier to do it in bits, right? Um, this is a household code. It was a common type of, of writing for that era. Um, the Greeks did it, the Romans did it. They would have these codes, and these are the rules that your society followed. And so it would say, husbands... You know, do these things. Wives do these things. Children do these things. Slaves do these things. And we see it in the Bible a few times. Um, this household code, and this makes the Bible completely unique to the rest of the world at the time, 
This is the only time we see it where husbands are directed to love their wives um, in the ancient world. So if you were an ancient Greek husband and you were a pagan, you had no moral or legal obligation to love your wife. Just saying. Um, but the scriptures change that, right? They say, well, wait, 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 wait. Husband, your first responsibility is to love your wife, right? And that seems very simple, except that Greek is, is, is a really complicated language, which is why I, I don't speak it. Um, but I do speak enough to like, or read enough and understand enough to, to recognize that the word love is complicated. Um, can I get an amen to that? <laughs> um, there are five different words for love in the Greek language. Five. There's a really good book um, by C.S. Lewis, The Five Loves, and where he looks at each of these like different Greek words for love and how it's used in different ways. And it talks about how love ought to be and how, how it was meant to be versus how it is and all this other stuff. Um, in this one, the assumption is, um, and as you read it, the assumption would be that the word love should be eros, right? I, I, I know this word, right? Because eros would be like, um, it would be like romantic or passionate or, or, or um, um, male-female love. Um, you with me? Like, actually, if you break it down, that's where we get the word erotic. Um, it's the root there, like eros. And it refers to this kind of love. And the assumption is, you know, husbands and wives, this is what it ought to be, right? And actually, going into marriage 14 years ago, I had this assumption that, you know, you know what I'm talking about? Some of you guys, when you got married, you had this, like, twitter-pated feeling, to quote Bambi. Um, this sort of, like, you know, your heart fluttered and you were totally infatuated. It was the most wonderful thing in the world. And then about, like, a year later, that, that most wonderful feeling in the world maybe wasn't quite the same. It, it, it slowly becomes something different. And, and I'm not saying that you don't love your wife anymore. You just discovered that this arrows thing, it's for a part of your marriage, right? And in the long run, when you're 30 years down the way, you've got a different, more mature understanding of what love is. Um, so if you want to throw things at me, that's fine. I'm, I'm not a romantic. I'm, I'm a realist. Um, not that romance isn't real. Man, I'm glad Jess isn't sitting here. Um, <laughs> she's listening. <laughs> she's listening. <laughs> we didn't know it was interesting. But we've been married long enough, she tunes me out normally. <laughs> so the word, the assumed word, would be eros. However, um, the word here isn't eros. Um, Paul breaks away, and Paul is kind of a wordsmith. I mean, this is a guy who didn't just use this word um, willy-nilly. He uses the word agape, um, which the root of that is agape, right? And agape refers to a specific kind of love. And it's actually love that's assigned to the, to the divine, right? God loves agape love. It, it's not really possible for us because agape love is completely selfless. And people are selfish. Um, some of you think you're not, but ask your wife, they'll tell you you are. <laughs> like, like being complete, <laughs> some people are looking at the people around them. Uh, we're all at least a little selfish. Agape love is not, is not natural in people. Agape love is a product of God's work in our lives. And so when, when Paul begins his directions for husband, what does he say? He says, husbands, love your wife. Husbands, agape, selflessly love your wife. Um... Sorry, I lost my spot there. Uh, uh, as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. The other thing that's going on here is, as Christ loves the church, 
So what does Christ do for the church? He died. Not only died, he got tortured, right? And and he got nailed to a piece of wood, and he died one of the most unbelievably unpleasant deaths you could possibly pick out. And he did it selflessly. He there's an interesting spot where he's getting arrested, and, and Peter pulls out a sword and he starts fighting to save him. And and Jesus stops and he says, Hey, you know what? I don't need you. I could call legions of angels. I mean, literally, I could call hundreds of thousands of angels out of the heavens to defend me. I don't need you, Peter. Like, this is this is a death that he's he went through like as completely willingly as possible, as submissively as possible. It, it gets better, I promise, don't cry. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, and, and so, like, like what we find here is, um, if husbands are to love their wives, there's a degree of self-sacrifice, right? There's a degree of willingness to endure. There's a degree of, um, of, of submission, honestly, that comes into play here, right? But it's a different kind of submission. It's a submission from a position of power. Um, in the, the previous sermon, we looked at the church of Christ. The church isn't in a position of power in Christ, right? Whereas the man, like, like it's a reality, men hold a position of power. I don't want to have a whole argument about cultural or sexism or any of that other nonsense. The fact of the matter is that there's a degree to which the husband has power. I mean, husband, you can hit your wife. Well, you can't legally, but like it is something that men do, right? And it's something men get away with sometimes. It's something that's horrible and wrong and completely contrary to what the scriptures say. But men tend to be bigger, stronger, and therefore more powerful. Um, in our culture, actually, men tend to work um, more, than, more than wives do, right? In a lot of marriages, wives don't work. And in this culture especially, this was an economic reality. Women could not work. Well, they could, but the jobs they could have weren't the ones you'd want. Um, and so for a woman to be married to a husband, she's in a position of, of submission because she has no power in the relationship. And the husband has everything. And so he, as he says, as Christ loved the church and gave up his life for him, there's a degree to which he's commanding us from a position of power to be, to be submissive. And that's much tougher because power is fun to abuse. It is. And when it's all about me, I can, right? Like if it's selfish, if it's not agape, right? If it's eros. If it's this passionate, like, get what I can out of this love, like, like, it becomes easier to abuse it. But it's contrary to what we're called to be. As husbands, we're called to be like Christ under the church, right? Um, love, sacrifice, selfless, um, and submissive to a degree. Um, and it's, it's not very fun most of the time. But I would argue if we live it the way we're supposed to, it takes on a whole different life. Um, the, Paul goes on. Um, and again, like Paul is talking about this idea that, that submission to Christ like, it extends into our relationships. Um, and again, men take on the role of Christ here. He says, to make her holy, cleansing her by washing with water uh, through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church, without stain or wrinkle or any blemish or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. Okay, ancient culture. If you were getting married in ancient culture, um, there were a bunch of, of um, what would be the ceremonies and, and things you would do, customs. And one of the things that was a custom was, as you were preparing to get married, the wife would be taken away, right? 
and they would bathe her. They didn't bathe all that much in this culture. I'm just going to toss it out there. But she would be washed, and they'd like put up oils on her and everything else, and she would be presented to her husband as 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 perfect, right? And, and actually, we see an example of this. I think it's in Ezekiel 32. Don't turn there right now. But where God talks about Israel as being like, like where he washes her for himself. And it, it's this imagery of marriage. Um, and, and so as, as Paul goes on, he says, listen, so we need to be like Christ who washed and redeemed the church, right? Made her clean from sin. Why? Because when Jesus dies for us, he takes punishment for my sin. So Jesus, you know, God looks at Jesus on the cross and what he sees is Eric. Selfish, self-centered, selective hearing, you know, uh, big mouth, Eric, right? And on Judgment Day, he's going to look at me and he's going to see Jesus, right? Like I get to trade places. Um, I'm, I'm good because he was seen as bad. Everybody still with me? So, like, this is how Christ washes the church. Ultimately, husbands can't really do this for wives. I, I, I can't make my wife sinless, Right? But there's a degree to which what Christ is, or what Paul is teaching us here is, how is Christ in relation to the church? And you model yourself after this. Now what I can do, and actually the scriptures are pretty clear on this one, um, I can take a position of spiritual responsibility in my marriage. Um, the Bible talks about this idea that it's the husband's responsibility to be the spiritual leader in his family. Um, which is difficult, because you know a lot of times husbands don't want to do that, right? Um, or a lot of times husbands just you know, they don't care to. But this is what the scripture describes. Um, husbands are supposed to take on this role, and they're supposed to lead their family in this way. Um, and, and in doing that, this is like washing with water in the word. Like, obviously, we can't make our, our spouses blameless and perfect, but what we can do is we can help them mature spiritually as we ourselves mature spiritually, because it's, it's the role of a husband. That's what the scriptures describe. Um, moving on, um, Actually, I'm going to, um, Titus 3.5, if you want to jump over there, I'll give you half a second. Um, this word used here, like this washing word, um, um, is only used twice in the New Testament, and I included a note on this because I really wanted to mention it so you understand. Um, Titus 3.5, he saves us, not on the basis of deeds, which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing, I, that wasn't my daughter. By the washing of regeneration. It's hard to tell when you're reading. It's, you know, by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the spirit. So the washing of regeneration, like the specific word here he's using, refers to redemption. <laughs> oh, remember the old gray bush, the <laughs> Chase the baby. <laughs> I'm sorry. I should be, like, embarrassing you. <laughs> It's just so fun. Um, and so, like, the word washing here is referring to redemption. And it's important to understand that. Like, as we look at marriage, part of the deal here is husbands redeem wives, right? Husbands don't redeem wives because they died for them because of anything else. Um, I said that wrong. I should not have said that at all. Let me back up scratch that. Um, Christ redeems us in the same way we're supposed to stand in the position of Christ. And we have a spiritual obligation to our families as husbands. It's just there. Um... Next verse, uh, in this time, or in this way, husbands ought to love their wife as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body. But they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does for the church, for we are members of his body. 
Um, clearly, Paul is talking about husbands at this point because I've heard lots of women say, I hate my body. Um, but husbands, we don't have that problem, right? Like, we, we, we're fine. <laughs> and, and Paul takes here and he mashes up two passages, right? We all know this one, love your neighbor as yourself, right? Wow, you guys are sleeping already, huh? Um, so he takes love your neighbor as yourself, right? And this is a direct command. It's very clearly there. Um, and, and in the next thing here, he takes, um, um, where did my note go? Okay. Um, two Old Testament references. Love your neighbor as yourself. Um, and in Genesis we find, for this reason, a husband will leave his parents and become one flesh with his wife, right? Um, and so, like, he's taking these two passages. First off, what's the responsibility of a husband when you get married? You forsake your parents, right? They're no longer your number one responsibility, which is that Jewish cultural thing. So you forsake your parents as the primary obligation, and you take on your spouse as your one flesh, who is now your primary obligation. So we're supposed to love our spouse as we love ourselves, um, which really knocks selfish. It's right out, doesn't it? <laughs> it's hard to be selfish when you're supposed to be loving the other person the way you love you. Um, and it's in a position, I think part of the reason that Paul matches these two verses together is because while we're called in a very direct way to love our neighbors as ourselves, I think the spouses take, take an extra special spot there, right? Because not only do you love them as yourself, um, you love them as a part of your own body. Um, this is a big deal. It's a very direct command. It goes back to the very beginning of what marriage is and was commanded to be by God in the beginning of the world, at the institution of it. Um, it's a reflection of what we're supposed to be. Um, and it goes to the core of it. We fail at it because we're sinful, right? Are there any perfect husbands here? Oh, no, my wife's not here. I can get away with saying that. And Rose is clearly not looking that close to Ross. <laughs> um, or she's just trying to pick the heaviest thing around her to hit him with. <laughs> spiritual maturity, husbands, as we grow in our walk with God, as we become closer to Christ, ideally we would take on a reflection of this, like more so. Um, Paul finishes his address to husbands when he says, this is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. So Paul has tied all of this into the church in Christ, right? He wants you to understand Jesus died for the church, right? And, and I'll tell you, when you listen to sermons and you read the scriptures, everything comes down to how does this relate to Christ, right? Jesus died for us. We're redeemed through Christ. New lives in Christ, right? Like, it all comes down to that. And so we ask ourselves, what does this have to do with Jesus dying for me? And as it relates to marriage, how do husbands do this? Well, we reflect Jesus. Um, we're going to shift gears and we're going to have a look at some application here. Um, first off, we're supposed to be Christ-like in all things. Um, this is a call for wives as they relate to husbands. We talked about this last week, right? Being Christ-like, submissive, loving, um, caring for the other person's needs, these sorts of things, right? Like, like we're supposed to be Christ-like in this. But we're supposed to be Christ-like as husbands in the same way. We take on the image of Christ as we relate to our spouses. Um, this means we sacrifice ourselves for our wives. I've known guys who hate their jobs so much that they stop showing up. You know, and they figure, well, you know, I, I don't want to do this, or that's too hard. 
Um, fact of the matter is that work, work is a part of how we give ourselves up to the family, isn't it? I mean, when you receive a wage, they're renting your life. Um, and in a very real way, when we go out and we work and we take care of our families, we're sacrificing ourselves. It also means giving up things that we want, which is hard for me because I like boys. Um, but in reality, one day I have to send my daughter to college, right? I hope. Um, and in reality, I've got to take care of my wife's needs. And so I don't get to drive a brand new car because it's not what's best for my family and my needs don't come first. Uh, my needs come down the line somewhere. Um, and so we have to sacrifice of our own wants and desires and even of our own lives for our wives. Um, it also means that to a degree we have to die for them. Um, some husbands I've met wish they could die for them sooner rather than later. Um, <laughs> um, I, I was talking to a, a young man who's a gang member, right? Um, this is when I worked at Basher, and this kid, he was mean and foul and um, ran the streets, and, and his, his parents had very little interaction with him, but they wanted him to quit being in this gang, and they wanted him to quit selling drugs, and they wanted him to quit being violent. They wanted him to quit doing all of this. And we're talking, and, and I said, so what would you do for your family? Tell me, how important is your family to you? And this young man stands up, and he says, I love my family so much, I would die for them. And, and I asked him, like, what do you live for? I'm like, well, what do you mean? Like, well, when you're supposed to be home, do you go home? When you do something that hurts your family, do you stop doing it? When you, I mean, like, is dying, you say that in big words because it sounds impressive and manly and awesome, right? But in a bigger way, living for another person is tougher. It requires commitment. Um, it requires something that, that um, comes from the Lord. It requires something that for husbands, really, this is a model you try to live up to, right? It's something you'll never get nailed down. That drives me nuts. I, I'll think about my marriage I, I, on a regular basis. I'll ask myself, well, how am I doing? And I think, oh, I could do better there. I can do better there. I can do better there. I'm glad my wife's not in here to amen. Like, I fall short in all of these areas. Like, I could do so much better with this stuff. But I'll never be perfect at it. Because I'm a sinner. The best I can hope for is to be Christ-like. And to try and to work at it. And to repent and to walk closer to Him. Um, and so it means that we live for Him, right? And if necessary, we die for Him. This is not a trade. It is not, I will do this if she, Right? I, uh, there's a little while in my marriage where I do like, you know, my wife would be at work and I'd be at home on my day off and I'd clean the house and make a great meal and, and I would get frustrated with her if she wasn't thankful enough. <laughs> and I would think, wow, so why did I do all of this? I did it because I wanted her to, you know, wanted her to be appreciative. I wanted her to, you know, it, it, but it's not right. Like, like we do things because, um, it's, love is a one, you know, love is, love is selfless. Like love, agape love, the love that Paul is describing here, is supposed to be about you, not about me. And so husbands, like when we live out this obligation, you can say, well, I understand everybody should do that, but my wife is a heartbeat. No, <laughs> that's not how it works. We live selflessly, we love no matter what. It's not something that you earn, which is wonderful, because again, if we're reflecting Christ, right? If Christ died for me only when I deserved it, I'm in trouble. <laughs> Not only, I don't know about all you people, but I'm in a lot of trouble. And actually, I do know about you people. You're in trouble, too. Um, if we're going to reflect that in our marriage, it means it means selfless. It means she doesn't earn it. It means you love her for the perfect creation of God, picked out for you as your spouse by God himself. Like, that's what you do. You don't get to say, I don't want to do it. You don't get to say, my feet hurt. You don't get to say, 
you didn't, you know, do the following things. Dinner was burnt. The toast wasn't good enough for breakfast. All of these things. You need to do that. It's not part of the equation. Selflessness. Um, it means that we have to watch what we say. Um, the way we speak to our spouses reflects what's going on in our heart. So if I, um, and I'm probably a hypocrite in this regard too, so. Um, but we have to be careful in how we speak so that we build up our spouse. Um, I, I know people who the only thing they ever say to their spouse is angry or mean or sarcastic or cutting or, anybody do this? Probably not, I don't know. I do, sometimes. Um, we don't check out other women. Um, and here's why. If, um, if I'm supposed to stand in the role of Christ in relation to my marriage, faithfulness is going to be a central part of that, right? If I'm going to love her selflessly, that means I don't get to chase after other things that I, I may, oh, wow, hey, you know, check out the new, nope. It's out of bounds. Um, selfless love does not like strain this way. Like, it's, it's out of bounds. Um, we help out with the housework. Because it's not love, obviously, right? Like, I serve my wife, so I do dishes because she hates doing dishes, right? Um, I cook dinner sometimes. Why? Because I love my wife and I want to find ways to show her concretely. Um, so we look for other ways to serve, not because we get something out of it, but as a way of demonstrating love and as a way of demonstrating um, grace to that person. Um, the last one is, is forgive. Um, one of the biggest poisons you can have in a marriage, right, is resentment. Resentment is angry that gets old, right? So if you have a thing you're angry about, and you let it get to be more than a year or two old, or if you have a recurring behavior and you start thinking, oh my gosh, she's doing it again. And you kind of grit your teeth and you think, oh, I just wish she wouldn't do that. You know, and you walk away and you vent a little bit, maybe your buddies, you gripe to them, you know, like this. It's not Christ-like, right? And worse than that, it's like drinking poison for your relationship. It kills it. Um, because it's hard to look at somebody and say, I love you no matter what, and then say, Except when you nag me. <laughs> Except, I mean, it's just not right. Like, it's incompatible. And so forgiveness is the cure for that. If you have anger, if you have resentments, if you have things that you look at your spouse and you say, I just wish you wouldn't talk so much. <laughs> or wait for the commercial. Um, you know, when this is something that's driving you nuts. Like, forgiveness is the only way around it. Um, and forgiveness is something we're commanded to do because we're supposed to be Christ-like, Right? And what does Christ do? Well, Christ has forgiven me for a lot, thing, a lot of things that are worse than the things I might happen to be angry at my wife for. It's not something we do, you know, sort of tacitly, like, like oh, well, whatever. It, it's something we do over time. It's something we do in a committed way. When we feel anger or resentment boiling up, you, you deal with it. You don't let it get out of control. Because if you let it get out of control, it'll kill, like, like, blessings God gives us as human beings. Um, and it's miserable to do sometimes, right? That cuts both ways. When she says, Eric, your wife shouldn't say Eric, unless your name, nobody here's named Eric. So <laughs> she says, Eric or Ross or John eventually, I, I think, in January. Um, <laughs> I'm just trying to start a rumor. <laughs> When your wife says, John, <laughs> I'm going to be on vacation. <laughs> so when your spouse 
says, oh, you know what? You did this and it was wrong, or you shouldn't talk to me this way, what's the first response? Oh, yeah, well, you, or I had to because you, or, you know, well, it wasn't that bad. I can't, you know, it's, it's defense, right? Or it's not apologize. So if, if forgive is what we're called to do, repent is also a part of the equation. Repent means um, acknowledge. It means feel, feel bad, right? And it means turn around and go the other way. Um, I, there was a big stretch in my marriage where every time I would say sorry for something, I would just keep doing it. Right? That's not repenting. That's saying sorry and doing what I want. Because sorry is a get-out-of-jail-free card that stops working after a little while. And it becomes poison, right? And so husbands, if we're going to interact in a healthy way, when spouse comes and says, you are wrong, and here's why. And they'll never say it that nicely. Right? <laughs> Ever. <laughs> say it. So we got to hit the brakes and say, yep, you're right. And I'm saying this as a guy who needs to work on it, right? I'm terrible at it. Um, ultimately, this and the last sermon, um, this husband-wife thing, this is a part of the ongoing effort to become Christ-like. It's a part of our salvation. It's a part of what God calls us to be. And it, it might be painful to get there. Um, Part of that is breaking the old life and living together a new one, right? And if we allow God to do this work in us, if we commit to allowing God to do this work in us, it can happen. If it's, I'm going to try really, really hard and under my own effort and will, I'm going to do it, you're going to get the thing you've always gotten. <laughs> this is an effort that comes along with walking with Jesus. Um, we're going to close in prayer. My challenge for you this week as you go out of here um, is ask yourself, how can I do this better? How can I be more Christ-like in my interactions with folks, with my spouse? How can I be this man that I was made to be? The man that God designed me to be. Heavenly Father, um, I pray that you would pour your spirit on us today and help us to, to reflect your glory in all things. Help us to um, be witnesses of you. Help us to, um, help us to love our wives. Um, and help us to forgive and, and, and repent and take on the role of Christ as we interact with them. Um, I pray that you would just give us your grace to accomplish this today. In Christ's name, amen. Um, real quick, there are cookies that someone has baked at home that look awesome. I haven't seen them yet, but I'm assuming um, that are out there and we really need them eaten or else I'll eat them. And so um, hang out, talk, have a good time, and eat lots of cookies. And write notes to the kids while you're at it. Red books, and we'll turn to 62 to close this out. Kind of goes right along with this sermon.